Hello, folks. I pray you're doing good. It's good to be back with you. My name is Nolan Ruby, and this is the On Being Christian Podcast, which is a ministry out of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've got some snow in the mountains and um, some freezing temperatures at night, and so we're rolling right into winter. I'm I'm looking forward to it very much. Being from South Dakota, um, I've got I moved out here a little over three years ago. And I have yet to put on my big, you know, South Dakota winter coat on. I've just not needed to. It's been, there's been a lot of snow, but never the type of cold that I was used to, that I grew up in, the consecutive days of 20, 30, 40 below zero. We've just not dealt with that here, and I'm fine with that. Um, But we do have some nice crisp weather, type of weather that's just, so enjoyable to wake up to. Everything feels a little bit cleaner, just smells more crisp. I hope you're doing wonderful, spending some time with some family. Um, I had some things going on here, uh, just very busy uh, schedules um, that sometimes it's a little bit hard to keep up with everything. And so I did miss last week. Uh, But one of the questions that came to me just in response to some of the things that people seem to be dealing with at a, at a greater level in today's society than maybe they have in the past. Um, one of the questions was somebody asked me, do you have anything or do you ever do you ever talk about discouragement? And that's a pretty big subject. Um, there's a lot that the Bible has to say about encouraging yourself. Um, David encouraged himself through the Word of God and through conversation with God. But specifically, discouragement is one of those things that can take hold sometimes, and it can have devastating effects on a person's spiritual life and a person's physical life. Uh, it's no joke. It's, it's a very real aspect of just being a person is dealing with discouragement. And there was a couple of verses that came to mind immediately, but there's a story that I want to share with you from the Bible and then talk to you about Um, And if there was a title to this, the title of this is Four Questions. These are the four questions that I have learned to ask myself, which is from the Bible, when I become discouraged. Four questions, and most often, if not every time, the answer to these questions will help me to not focus on the discouragement. Our text is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm just going to read these first nine verses with you. We'll do a bit of an introduction to kind of the direction that I'm going to go, and then I'll share these four points with you, these these four questions, if you will. Second Chronicles chapter 20, I'll start in verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea and on this side of Syria, and behold, they have, they be in Hazazen Tamar, which is in Engedi, which is Engedi. Pardon me. And Jehoshaphat, excuse me, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. 
And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they, and they dwelt therein, and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us, As the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And so this is a story about the nations coming against Jerusalem. The king at this time is Jehoshaphat, and he becomes scared. Just by way of introduction, I want to define some terms here. In verse 1, you see that all of these people, the Ammonites, uh, they came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now, <clears throat> that's something that we face as people. Battle is a word here meaning a, a drawing of the bow. Uh, it's from the word for for beating. It gives the idea of a tight and stretched out situation, almost to the point of breaking. It's a fight or an encounter with an opposing force. And sometimes the greatest fights or encounters with opposing forces in our own lives, the battles that we face most often are just with the person in the mirror. But nonetheless, nonetheless excuse me, we do face battle. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat is facing here. He has some battles coming. This is a very physical battle. In verse 2, you see the phrase that says, There cometh a great multitude against thee. And just with respect to the context of being a Christian, sometimes that's exactly what it feels like within the realm of Christianity, is it feels very alone sometimes. And if I were to even amplify that a little more, just from the perspective of being a pastor of a local independent Baptist church, uh, it is very, very lonely sometimes, and it feels like the multitude stands up against me personally or as a, as a church here in Salt Lake City, very much a Baptist church is in the minority, to, to say the very least, about the subject. And so as humans, as people, as Christians, you do face battles and in the and for the most part, as a Christian, the battles you face, you will find yourself vastly outnumbered. And as a result of that, we see what Jehoshaphat himself faced in verse three. It says, "And Jehoshaphat feared; he feared. Feared is a word here that means to to uh, to tread or to to be terribly frightened, which is a natural reaction." to being faced with things that are overwhelming, whether it's a medical diagnosis, it's a loss of a loved one, a particular uh, frustrating or um, uh, confusing situation in your spiritual life or in church, or, um, or just facing uh, what is inconceivably larger odds than what you were prepared for. Fear 
is sometimes often a result of coming up against things that you necessarily weren't prepared for or, or don't want to be a part of, and um, that can lead to being very discouraged. I'm, I don't think I'm telling you anything that you've not heard, but being in the ministry is by far the most rewarding experience that I have ever personally been a part of. With that said, it comes with some incredible uh, shots to the face, um, and and as a result of that that battle, that that isolation, that loneliness, that multitude standing against, it does. I can become fearful over certain things. Is this going to last? Am I doing what I should be doing? Am I being accepted? Is my wife and my family okay? Do the people have any desire for this? Is this, you know, am I making a fool of myself? Am I failing the Lord? Am I ruining people's lives? All of these questions are near continuous sometimes when I take my eyes off of the Lord, put my eyes on myself. I can become confused. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so whenever I come across that that fearful spirit, I know I've got my focus on the wrong place. But nonetheless, it does lead to discouragement. And there are some things I'd like to talk to you about concerning four real specific questions that I have learned to ask myself, which Jehoshaphat asked not only himself, but the entire nation of Israel when they were getting ready to go up against um, a nation in war. Before we get there, a couple of verses in the Christian life, or in sometimes, especially I'm a chaplain for the Salt Lake City Police Department, and they face different types of situations on a daily basis that you might, might, you know, you might deal with something like that every 10, 20 years. They're dealing with these types of fights, these battles, these discouragements, standing against the multitude, uh, dealing with their own personal fear. Um, in the ministry, this is obviously a huge thing. In families, fathers and mothers, uh, the fear of, am I, am I raising my children correctly? Am I giving them everything they need? Are they happy? Are they healthy? All of these things. If we give into it, it can lead to discouragement. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 5 says, For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And I'm just taking that out of context for just a second to focus on the first part of that verse where it says what the battle of the warrior is. It says it's it's with confused noise, garments rolled in blood. Uh, chapter um, 20 of Second Chronicles, verse 3, you'll find the, the fact Jehoshaphat um, had a couple of things that he did when he faced this type of discouragement, when he faced this type of fear. The Bible says he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Israel, or throughout all Judah specifically. And so this is a wonderful beginning aspect of dealing with discouragement. It's not one of the questions I'm going to get to, uh, but this is really what the questions depend on. When I'm faced with fears, when I'm faced with apprehensions, I want you to notice what Jehoshaphat did. The Bible says he set himself to seek the Lord. Set is a word that means to apply or appoint or to assign oneself to a charge, to fasten yourself without fail to. Um, he set himself. The idea is very much like that of um, setting something in a place where it can't be moved or you would let concrete set. It means to cure and to, and to, um, uh, to get to a point where it's you can build on it. It's a foundation. 
And Jehoshaphat said that he set himself to seek the Lord. And then verse 4 says, And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. It goes on to say, They came to seek the Lord. Uh, Seek is a word that means to tread after, to follow diligently, uh, to search with specific intent. And um, and then after all of this, he proclaimed, the Bible says in, in verse 3, he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Proclaim is a word that means um, it's, it's, it's to call out, to address the name, to preach. It's the idea of accosting a person, uh, but with information, okay? And so here we have, just by way of introduction, you've got a, a mass of people some militaries, some armies coming up against Judah, coming up against Jehoshaphat for the specific purpose of doing battle. Battle, as Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5 says, uh, the battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. So as a result of that battle, we understand that there's going to be some uh, abnormal situations develop. I tell people all the time, I used to be a counselor for the VA for veterans, and I used to tell these young guys coming back from different things that they were exposed to that abnormal reactions to abnormal situations are, in fact, normal. And so we see a battle coming, and it's a multitude. There cometh a great multitude against thee, the Bible says, Second Chronicles 20, verse 2. So we understand he's, there's a battle coming, and the people that are bringing the battle numerically, statistically— are greater than he is. And this has a result, verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared. And so as the, as the foundation of what we're going to look at, before we get into these four questions, I want you to understand that when the battle comes, especially as a Christian, the battle most likely will always be bigger than you, and that's going to cause you to fear. There's two things I want you to understand as a way of a foundational aspect of dealing with my own discouragement, the number one thing that you see Jehoshaphat do is he sets himself to seek the Lord. When he gets afraid, when he becomes fearful, he chooses more than anything else to find comfort in seeking the Lord. That says a lot about his character. That says a lot about what he believes. I tell people here all the time, You won't have to tell people what you believe. You will do what you believe, and people will see it. You don't have to convince people of where you stand. Your life says everything about what you actually believe. The thing that you need to remember is if my life says something different about what I believe than what my words say, the way I act says a lot more than what I say. There was a saying when I was a kid that I'm trying to remember, a cute little idiom. Um, your talk talks and your walk walks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I can't. Re- I cannot believe I remembered that. When I was a kid, I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. I didn't understand it, but I memorized it because you just it was part of a little Sunday school song. But now that I, I'm a little older, I want you to understand that. You can say a lot of things about yourself, but the way in which you conduct yourself says a whole lot more than what you say. And Jehoshaphat had some opinions, and he was the king. He said a lot. Uh, 
But when he was afraid, look what he did. He set himself before the Lord. He Specifically, he set himself to seek the Lord. So he put himself in a position where the only thing that he could do moving forward was to seek the Lord. And then what did he do? The Bible says in, in verse 3, let me back up there. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And so as the leader, he set himself to seek the Lord and he encouraged and invited those who who uh, he was in charge of, those who um, he was to give an answer for, he invited them to do the same thing. He set a fast throughout all Israel. And the second thing that you see here is found in verse four, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. That's about, not about, that is 100% the best possible thing that we can do as a church. As a, as a leader of a church, as a pastor, you set yourself to seek the Lord, and then you invite your people to do nothing more than to put themselves in the position uh, to gather themselves together and ask the Lord of his help, or ask help of the Lord. So this is the context of, of what's taking place. He he got uh, accosted, or, or battle is coming. The battle is bigger than he, he is, and he was afraid. This drove him to set himself before the Lord and to seek the Lord's help. And as the leader, he proclaimed a day of fasting and prayer, and he got the entire city behind him doing the same exact thing. Verse 4, um, gathered themselves together to ask the Lord of his help. And so now we have people who are facing battle, they're facing discouragement, they're facing trouble, and they're doing the exact right thing. They're seeking the face of God, and they're asking for him to help. And then what's interesting is the questions that Jehoshaphat asks the entire city based off of him going to the Lord and seeking the Lord's counsel. And that's the message, that's the idea of this text. I want to look at four points, and the first one is found in verse 6. These four points are going to be the four questions that we ask ourselves when faced with discouragement. The four questions that we need to learn to ask ourselves when faced with things that we may not understand. The first one is found in Isaiah, excuse me, in our text, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and uh, verse 6. The Bible says, And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And there's the first question that I want you to I want you to learn to ask yourself. When faced with discouragement, whether it's anger or sadness or anxiety or depression or jealousy, envy, rage, whenever you're faced with these very real aspects of being human, I want you to ask yourself this question first, art not thou God in heaven? Just learn to say to the Lord, is everything or anything that I'm going through having any effect on the deity of God? Is he still going to be God at the end of this? Is the God who is the God still going to be a good God at the end of this? I ask people here all the time, has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? Sometimes we go through things in life and we base our definitions of the goodness of God as to whether or not we specifically are being blessed. 
And sometimes the Lord lets us go through things that, that tempers us, that grows us, and if we focus on ourselves, or even if we're not focused on ourselves, but we feel responsible because we've failed in some way, we tend to become discouraged, or we look inward, or we get a little bit sad. And the question that I have learned to ask myself when faced with achievement, when faced with failure, when faced with fear, or whether I'm feeling particularly courageous, it doesn't really matter where I'm at. The question is, art thou not God in heaven? There are several verses I want to look at in reference to this. The first one is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I'll just look at the first two verses. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few." Sometimes when we get discouraged, folks, we get beaten down a little bit by life. We think that we need to articulate things and tell God everything that we feel because God needs to understand where we are as if God doesn't understand where we are. And I want you to understand from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, when I go into the house of God, the Bible says, be more ready to hear. And then it says, then to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. Well, what's the evil that we're talking about? Verse 2 says, be not rash with thy mouth. Sometimes when you're faced with difficulties, challenges, discouragements, battles, the best thing to do is just take a second and be still and wait on the Lord's guidance. Every problem doesn't need immediately to be fixed by your agenda. Sometimes the Lord would like you to just carry something so that he can show you the value of his hand in your life. Most of the time when we're faced with things that we would define as needing an immediate answer, sometimes the Lord will put problems in our life that don't have an immediate answer, except if we get our credit card out, we would define that as immediate answer, and we slide that thing through the machine and boom, our problems go away, or at least they go down the road a little bit. And then we can deal with those problems later, and we will, with interest, by the way. Problems never go away. You, they cannot be drowned. They are very good swimmers, and they cannot be ignored without coming back and saying, hey, remember me? Let me introduce you to a couple of my friends. I just brought them back. <laughs> and so when we're faced with discouragement, when I'm faced with, with fights, battles, whether it's from the outside world or from whether it's my own stubborn humanity, the Bible says, ask yourself this question, art not thou God in heaven? The answer is rhetorical. Yes, he is the God of heaven. And you don't necessarily need to understand everything he's always doing to accept everything that he's always doing. Verse 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, be not rash with thy mouth. It goes on to say, let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. In other words, just slow down here. Learn how to carry this. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Therefore, in other words, let's wrap this whole thing up. Here's the takeaway. Let thy words be few. 
sometimes when we're facing things, we feel we're, we're going to scream at it. We're going to talk at it. We're going to prove our point. We're going to, if I can just find the right collection of words, if I can find the right articulate nature of my language, I, sh- I should be able to convince this person. I should be able to convince the people in charge of this situation that they should move to the way I see this. They should move away from the way they see it. And the Bible says when you come up against these situations, one of the best things you can do is to let your words be few. In other words, you just sit still for a minute and um, let the Lord be God. And if you have to carry something for a little bit longer than what you would have deemed just, that's okay. That's okay. If you claim Christ, you claim the one who can help you carry anything. And so the first question is, art not thou God in heaven? The the second question, well, before we get that, let's do a couple more verses on this first one. Isaiah chapter 66, the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 66. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That's interesting. The word throne is used here. The Bible says that the heaven is my throne. The word throne is a word that means um, it's, it's covered like a canopy seat or a stool. It's a place where God particularly or peculiarly manifests his power and glory. So art thou not God in heaven? And the Bible answers the question, yes, that's exactly who God is. He is the God of heaven. He is in heaven, we are on earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For all those things, verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 66, all those things hath mine hand made. Talking about everything. God made everything, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. And then he describes the man in the battle. He says, but to this man will I look. And boy, this is when I take my notepad and my pen out. To this man will I look. Okay, I want to be that man. What type of man is that? Him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. In other words, instead of trembling at the sight of battle and the great multitude coming against me, I should be reverenced more towards the Word of God than I am toward any external force. Because the question and the answer to the question, which from the perspective of the Bible is self-evident, art not thou God in heaven? The Bible answers that question. Yes. Yes, that's exactly who he is. That's exactly who he is. And whether things are going good or bad for you doesn't change that he is the God of heaven. That's where his throne is. That's who he is. That's who we serve. And it's okay if he asks me to carry things for a little bit longer. It's 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 okay. Let's go to second. Um, no, excuse me. First Kings chapter eight. First Kings chapter eight and verse twenty-seven. The Bible says, "But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less?" This house that I have builded. So the question is, art not thou God in heaven? 
And the answer is yes. That's exactly who he is. That's exactly who he is. And he is unaffected by the things that affects us, even though he is uh, patient and and his heart is affected by us struggling with things. But he physically, he, he physiologically, he is the God of all. He's not affected by our problems. And so when I'm facing battles, when I'm facing issues, when I'm facing discouragement, I can take that to the God of heaven, and I can leave it there. I don't, I don't have to carry that. Okay, if I go to 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18 says this, But will God in very deed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have built? And then jump down to verse 21. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, and when thou hearest, forgive. So I understand his dwelling place is in heaven. The Bible tells me over and over and over again. So when I'm facing discouragement and I want to focus inward on myself and my challenges and my struggles, I learn to ask myself this question, art thou not God of heaven? And the answer is yes. Yes. He's not taken back with the things I'm facing. It does not surprise him. And if I'm going through it, it's because with him, not only can I make it through it, but I can thrive through it. He has a desire for this to teach me something. If I go to Psalm, Psalm um, 11, the, the 11th Psalm, and then jump down to verse 4. The Bible says here in uh, the 11th Psalm, verse 4, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try, the children of men. What's the answer to the question? From the Bible's perspective, the question is, Art thou not God in heaven? And from the perspective of the Bible, the answer is, Yes, that's exactly who he is. He'll never be anything different. And when faced with struggles and trials and discouragements of life, I can go to the God of heaven and I can leave those things in his hands. One more verse on this first question, Acts chapter 7, 48 through 50. Acts chapter 7, 48 through 50, the Bible says, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all things? The answer is yes. His hand has made everything, and he is the God of heaven. And the earth is his footstool, and he is not surprised by the things that we're facing. He did not let a, an army come up against us that could beat us unless his desire is for us to come on home. By the way, as long as we're standing for the cause of Christ, we cannot be beaten. We get beat when we surrender the fight. That's the only time a Christian can be beat. As long as I'm obeying the voice of God and I'm doing exactly what he says, the duty is mine. The results are his and his entirely. The question I must learn to ask myself is, art thou not God in heaven? And the answer is yes. Yes, he is. He always has been. 
He always will be. And he can be the God that I take my problems, my battles, my discouragements, my anxieties, my fears, my depressions, my anger, rage, jealousy, my victim's past. He can be the God that I leave all those at the, at the feet of his throne. And I can be done with it. I don't have to carry it around. It does have an effect on me, but it doesn't have to have a, an effect on me very long. Let's look at the second point back in our text, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 6. The Bible says, And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? There's the first question. And ruleth, look at this, and rule rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen. Rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? There's the question. And so when I'm up against as what the Bible would describe as heathen, and sometimes that can be me, is God not still the God who rules over that? Well, I think the answer is, is yes, but let's let the Bible answer the questions that the Bible asks. Romans chapter 13 one through two, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject under the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So the question on the table is, Rulest thou now over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And the answer from the Bible is, Yes, he is in charge. The Bible says the powers that be are ordained of God. It goes on. It says there is no power but of God. So if I'm up against a power and I'm thinking, well, I wonder if God knows about this. Yes, he does. He does know about it. I want to tell you a story from the Bible, and you're probably familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph had many brothers, and uh, his father looked at him as the favorite, gave him a coat of many colors, his brothers took him out into the wilderness, and they took his coat, and they destroyed his coat, and they threw him in a pit. And they put blood all over the coat and brought the coat back to his father and said, Listen, Joseph was eaten by an animal, and uh, he's dead. And his father grieved, but in reality, Joseph was just in a pit, and an Egyptian caravan came by and found him and picked him up out of the pit and brought him to Egypt where uh, an, a man named Potiphar bought Joseph. Now, you know the story, but if I was to follow this story down through the, the extent of it, he rose to prominence in the house of Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife made a claim against Joseph that wasn't true, and he ended up being knocked all the way back down to, the, uh, to jail. And then he came up out of jail, and then now he's directly working for the Pharaoh of Egypt. Each time, Joseph rose to the very highest offices in the land, even though he didn't own anything. He didn't own any of it. He was just the steward of it. I want you to understand something. This world is not our home. If you're a Christian, you don't own any of this. This all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Our job is just to be the stewards of it. And so when I run up against something, and I would define it, or even the Bible defines it as an unjust ruler, here's the question I want to ask myself that would prevent me from becoming so discouraged. 
it might prevent me from taking it so personal. Rulest thou, excuse me, talking about God, rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Well, the answer to that question is yes, he is the ruler over all the kingdoms of the heathen. And so it doesn't matter if I am in a situation that I would define as just or unjust. I can take my claims to the Lord because he's ultimately in charge. As we just read, verse 2 of Romans chapter 13, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. So I don't want to resist that. Well, the the answer to that is verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. We can also find this in John chapter 19. Let me just get over there. John chapter 19, and I'll read 10 through 11. The Bible says here, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee? And I have power to release thee. Now, before I read verse 11, verse 10 is Pilate talking directly to Jesus. He's asking him questions at a mock trial, and Jesus Christ is not answering him. And Pilate says, wait a minute, you're not going to talk to me? And then he asks Christ this question, knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? Pilate's saying, I have power, and you should respond to me in accordance with my power. And Jesus answered him and said, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Jesus Christ made something very clear. He said, The power you have is not yours. God gave it to you. And it's not for us to decide whether what God does is right or wrong. He who brought me to you, Jesus Christ said, has the greater sin, knowing that this is all a farce. This is unjust. But you, he said, you have no power except the power. And he himself is God. God is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. God with us, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the name of Jesus Christ. And he says to you, you have the power I give you. But he's talking about his Father in heaven. His God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is God. And he says, your power doesn't exist unless God allows it. <clears throat> Pilate went on to say he found no fault in him, but that didn't matter. The Jews were so mad they they cried, crucify him anyway. The word power here is a word that means it's the sense of ability. It is the, the It's a privilege that you have. It's a capacity of force, mastery. It means jurisdictional liberty and influence. And so, Rulest thou now, rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of heaven. Or in other words, is God's jurisdiction limited? Does not he have total and complete, unhindered jurisdiction over all of his creation? The answer is yes. So then do I need to be discouraged when I come up against something? Whether they recognize that their power is from God or not makes no difference to the reality of the situation. The reality is, is that God's in control. How simple is that? You see this in Psalm 22. Let me go over there. Psalm, and we'll jump down here. I need to go back and find where my, there it is. Psalm chapter 22, and I'm going to start in uh, verse 27. I'll read down through verse 28. 
The Bible says, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is governor among the nations. So the question is, rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And the answer from the Bible is, yes. Yes, he does. Exclusively. Yes, he does. If I go to, I'm already in Psalm, I'll just go over to chapter 47. Psalm 47, jump down to verse 2. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Over all the earth. He is a great king over all the earth. Kind of makes the answer to that question very clear. I'm already in Psalm. I might as well keep going. Chapter 103. Psalm 103, and I'll jump down here to verse 19. The Bible says, The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. And so that answers both questions. Art thou not God in heaven? Well, yes, that's where his throne is. And ruleth not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? Yes, that's exactly who he rules over. There's no doubt about it. If I go over to Daniel, Daniel has some things that we can share, that we can learn concerning whether the Lord's in charge or not. Daniel chapter 4, I know there's a lot of Bible that I'm sharing with you. I just wanted you to be to be very clear that what I'm sharing with you today is, is very much the Bible. It has no uh, human agenda to this. Daniel 4, 30 through 32, the Bible says here, the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom of my, by the might of my power, and for the honor of my majesty? Well, that's a great way to start. So he's out here talking to himself. And he's like, look at this thing that I have built. Look at this kingdom. This kingdom is, is by my own might and by my own power for my own honor and my own majesty. And the Bible says in verse 31, while the word was yet in king in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men. And thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass and oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and given it to whomsoever he will. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's out here saying, look at what I have done. Look at my might. Look at my hand. Look at my power. Look at my glory. I am wonderful. I am magnificent. And while the words were still in his mouth, the Lord says, you're done, boy. You're done. And when this is all over, you're going to know who's in charge, and it's not you. Boy, that's so encouraging to me. Not just that the evil of this world is not in charge of me, but that I'm not in charge. It's all the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's all him. It's not me. I wouldn't want to bear this mantle if you paid me. So the question, art not thou God in heaven? Well, apparently, yes. The Bible makes that very clear. That's exactly who he is. Question number two, rulest thou now over the kingdoms of the heathen? Yes, that's exactly who he rules over, with no question about it. One more on this, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 
and chapter 6. And I'll read 13 through 16. The Bible says here, I give thee charge in the sight of God, and who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is in his time he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach, unto whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Potentate is a word that means, it's the only time here it's used, ruler or officer of great and mighty authority to be the able and right power over all ability, a person who possesses great power or sway. Specifically, it's the sovereign power. He is the potentate. He is the power. And there is no power except that he gives it. And so when I'm facing battles, I'm facing discouragement, I'm facing things, I need to get my own head clear, get myself unfocused from my woes and focused on the first two questions. Number one, art thou not God in heaven? The Bible says, yes, that's exactly who he is. And number two, rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And the Bible tells us again, yes, that's exactly who he rules over with no question about it. Let's look at the third question. That's also found, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 6. And said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not, thou, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest thou now over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? There's the third question. In thy hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Now, I think at this point you understand these questions are rhetorical, but let's let the Bible answer these questions anyway, just so that we are completely clear about the power of God. We'll find the answer to this, this third question in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, 48 through 50, look at what the Bible says here. <clears throat> Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? So the question is, is thine hand, or excuse me, in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? And here we have in Acts chapter 7 a very clear answer. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me? In other words, how will you contain me? I, am, I live in the heavens above the heavens. I am beyond containment, God says about himself. Uh, verse 49, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? He said, you're, you're going to box me in? You're going to compartmentalize me? It's impossible. His hand, there is power and might so that none is able to withstand him. None is able to contain him. Sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by thinking that God owes us an explanation. He doesn't. God owes us no explanation. Sometimes the Bible, you'll find that God doesn't necessarily describe himself as much as he just declares himself. You say, well, why is that? Because we don't have the physical or physiological or spiritual or mental capacity to understand him 
at his height of existence, his power. It's beyond us. Isaiah chapter 66, we'll read the first two verses here again. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all things have been, uh, hath mine hand made, and all these things hath been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. And it goes on, we've already read that. He says, how are you going to contain me? It's impossible. And so when I get discouraged, I remember I serve the uncontainable God, the God who exists in the heavens of the heavens. And my problems are just challenges, ones that he so sees fit I go through because he's trying to build me into something or make me into something, and he's using challenges to do it. By the way, that's what challenges are, things that advance you beyond where you were naturally. If I go to Psalm chapter 8, 1 through 4, and there's a lot in Psalm on this. The first eight, uh, first four verses of chapter 8 says, To the chief musician upon Giddeth, the Psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. He says, what is man that you would condescend to us? Well, the Bible makes that answer clear. He loves us. So the, can't, the question I'm, at, I'm trying to convince you to ask yourself when faced with discouragement is, in thine hand, talking about the hand of the Lord, is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Well, so far from the Bible, the answer is yes. Yes, that's exactly who he is. Psalm 19, verse 1, the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. That's the God who loves me. That's the God who loves you. That's the God whom we serve, the God whose handiwork is on display in the heavens. That's just so calming to me. Psalm 89. There's so much in the Psalms on this. Psalm 89, 7 through 14, look what the Bible says here. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. O Lord God of hosts, who is strong, Lord, like unto thee? Or to thy faithfulness round about thee, thou rulest the raging of the sea. When the waves thereof arise, thou stillest them. Thou hast broken Rahab in pieces as one that is slain. Thou hast scattered thine enemies with thy strong arm. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. The north and the south, thou hast created them. Tabar, Hermon, shall rejoice in thy name. Thou hast mighty a mighty arm, strong is thy hand. Interesting. And high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the inhabit or the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Folks, this is the God we serve, the God whose hand is mighty, the God who mercy and truth goes before him. He's not taken back by the things we face. We don't need to be defeated. We don't need to be discouraged. 
Why? Because in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Yes. The answer from the Bible is yes. Psalm 95, 3 through 5, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This is the God I serve. You say, well, I'm facing some things. There's some, they're, they're difficult challenges. Do you think the God who formed the sea could help you with that? Psalm 138 and verse 8, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. The mercy, thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine hand. Folks, you and I are his handiwork. And from the Bible's perspective, can I trust him to not forsake his handiwork? Yes, I can. The answer's pretty clear. Isaiah chapter 48, there's more on this rhetorical question. So we're under question number three. In thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? So far from the perspective of the Bible, we understand the answer to be yes. Let's see if anything changes. Isaiah chapter 48, 11 through 14, from Mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. All ye assemble yourselves and hear which among them hath declared these things. The Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. I want you to focus on verse 13. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. And look what he says here. When I call unto them, they stand up together. Folks, if that's not encouraging, well, I'm facing some significant issues. Yes, I understand. No, you don't understand. I'm facing cancer. I'm facing the loss of a loved one. I'm facing a loved one with cancer. Listen, I get it. I would never say that I know what you're going through, but I've been through those exact things. I've had family members with cancer. I've had family members with life-altering diseases. I've had death. I've had all of these things. And in the ministry, I've had even so much more challenges. And there's things that can become incredibly discouraging and they weigh on your soul and you wonder, does anyone care? And I'm here to tell you from the Bible, yes, God cares. And the God that cares can call the sky to attention. Hmm. Is there any that can withstand him? No. No, there's not, to include you and me, and that should be so, so very encouraging. Job chapter 12, you're familiar with the story of Job. If I start in verse 7 and read down through verse 10, But ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare it unto thee. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? And whose hand is the soul of every living thing, 
and the breath of all mankind? The answer is the Lord's. The Lord's hand, within his hand, is the soul of every living thing, the breath of all mankind. Can this not be discouraging to me when I'm facing challenges and discouragements and battles in life? Daniel chapter 5, 22 through 24, the Bible says, 22 through 24 of Daniel chapter 5, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knowest all things. This is the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and the Bible is saying, You knew all this stuff that happened to your father and hasn't changed you. Verse 23, But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and the writing was written, literal hand, folks, little hand comes out of heaven and writes on the wall. And uh, verse 25, and this is the writing that was written, meeny, meeny, tickle, or te- I, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not this guy, tekel, tekel, I, I can't ever pronounce these things, but the, the nobody knew what it said. Verse 26, the interpretation of the thing is God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou... Verse 27 says, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Verse 28 says, The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that's exactly what happened. He took the kingdom away again. So is God's hand, is his hand not all-powerful? Is his might not all-might? Is it not all-powerful over all the earth so that none can withstand him? The answer is yes. Over and over and over again, the answer is yes. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And this is the last one on this third question, starting in verse 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And so no matter what you're facing in life, if you claimed Christ, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior— Can anything change that? No. No, nothing can change that. That's settled forever in heaven. Let's look at the fourth question, and this is the final question. Back in our text, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we read the first three questions in verse 6. Now we jump down, jump down here to verse 7. The Bible says, Art not thou our God? who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. Let me just ask you this. Art not thou our God? Let's make that personal. Lord, are you my God? And that's the final question. Are you my God? If he's not your God, then discouragement is the least of your worries. But if he is your God... There's no need for the discouragement. If I go to Psalm chapter 46, and I go down to verse 10, the Bible says here, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Exalted is a word that means to be raised. 
to be promoted to the highest of the highest levels. Is he your God, folks? Is he your God? Not a God. Not someone else's God. Not my father's God or my mother's God. Is he your God? And if he's your God, can I not take encouragement in that? Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, I'll start in verse 26 and read through 27. The Bible says, And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Is he your God? There's no reason to be discouraged. There's no reason to be fearful of defeat if he's your God. Jeremiah chapter 24, let's look at what that says. Jeremiah 24 and verse 7, And I will give them an heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. You say, well, what's the point of that? Am I discouraged? Am I facing battle? Am I overwhelmed and outnumbered? Return to the Lord with your whole heart and let him be your God and watch that discouragement rapidly fade away. Ezekiel chapter 20 has some things that we can learn from this. Ezekiel chapter 20, 19 through 20, the Bible says here, I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And hallow my Sabbaths, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. Praise the Lord. Stay right there. Jump down to verse 42 through 44. The Bible says here, And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for the which I lifted up mine hand to give it to your fathers. And they, and there shall ye remember your ways and all your doings, wherein ye have defiled. And ye shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that ye have committed. And it goes on. Verse 44, And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have wrought with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings. O ye house of Israel, saith the Lord God, is he your Lord? Is he yours? Do you have a relationship with him? There's no better encouragement than knowing the God of heaven. Stay in Ezekiel, jump down to chapter 39, 21 through 29, and here's where I will end it. Look at what it says here. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment and I have that I have executed and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them and gave them into the hand of their enemies, so fell they all by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them, 
and hid my face from them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After that, they have borne their shame and their trespasses, whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of the enemy's lands and sanctified to them in the sight of all nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God and cause them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. Is he your God? Just a thought for you here. I think we we get sidetracked. I know I do sometimes. And we forget to ask ourselves these four rhetorical questions, if you will. God is in heaven. God is in control. God is unstoppable, and God is my God forever. Understanding these four truths is understanding my place with others and with God. And so will I face battles? Yes, I will. Will those battles be overwhelming, and will I be outnumbered? Most definitely, probably, certainly, yes, you will. Will this cause fear? Oh, you better believe it. So what do I do? What do I do when I face this type of fear? Well, I I set myself to seek the face of the Lord, and I do that in such a way where everyone around me is invited to do the same thing, and we go to the Lord for help. And the Lord will ask me to ask myself these four questions. Number one, art not thou God in heaven? The answer is, from the Bible, yes, yes, he is. And that should have an effect on my discouragement. That should have an effect on my depression, my anxiety. Number two, rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. He does rule over all the kingdoms. And In fact, the Bible says there is no power except the power that he gives. This should be an encouragement to me because I'm never going to face anything the Bible says that God's not aware of or more than that, that God's not in control of. And so I need to learn to ask myself that question and let the truth calm me. And so I'm not so discouraged. Question number three, in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Yes, that's exactly whose hand power and might is in. More than that, his hand is where all power and all might is in. And this should affect me greatly. This should have a massive effect on my anxiety, my discouragement, my fears. This should help me. This should calm me. And the fourth question, perhaps the most important question, art thou not my God? Have you claimed him? Do you love him? Does his love for you drive you to love him? Can you go to the throne of grace boldly, as the Bible says? Is he your God? If he is, This should be the most encouraging aspect of all of it. But I can take my feelings, I can take my justifications for things, my facts, my victimized mindset, I can take my discouragements, my battles, my anxieties, my fears, my victories, my rage, my anger, my jealousy, my hurt, my pain, I can take them to my God, and I can leave them there. The Bible says his mercies are new every day. And so if I'm living 
a defeated life or a discouraged life, may I say this without offending you, it's because you choose to, because the God of heaven, the God who loves you, has no desire for you to live a defeated or uh, or unencouraged life. Folks, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been just a chapter. I think this is podcast number 39 of the On Being Christian podcast. I hope that this has been helpful to you. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me through the website, wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, Front baptistchurch.com. There's a drop-down menu, and if you drop down and hit the link entitled Contact Us, it'll give you my direct office number as well as the email address to me directly. I do try to answer all the things that come through there. I have so far. I think I'm caught up. Um, If you have anything that you'd like to talk about or call me or or just uh, reference something, please do. Don't hesitate at all. Uh, If you're in the Salt Lake City area, we would encourage you to come have a service with us. We are at uh, 140 West, 2100 South. It's a 2100 Plaza building here. We have the entire upper level of the middle of the building, suite number 230. We would love to see you. I'd love to personally meet you. I'd be honored to be able to do that. With that said, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it's been helpful to you. Uh, Learn to ask yourself these four questions when faced with the discouragements of life, and allow God to heal and help and be to you what only he can be to you, and that is God. With that said, I'm going to ask the Lord to bless this, and then I'm going to uh, to be done. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for loving us beyond a capacity, Father, that I'm sure we have not yet been able to understand and won't be able to until we see you face to face. I pray that you'd help us to Teach us, Father, how to live with this thing called life and the different discouragements and challenges that we face. And when we're faced with them, help us to bring them to you. Give us the courage to bring them to you and leave them with you. We leave it in your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll talk to you next time, folks. God bless.